Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Cinematic Schematic, the official podcast of thecinematropolis.com, your home to thoughtful conversations on film. I'm your host, Caleb Masters, and today we're here to discuss Guillermo del Toro's rendition of There Are No Budgetary Strings on Me. Whoop, whoop. That's right. Today we're reviewing Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio, not to be confused with the Disney Plus Pinocchio starring Tom Hanks. This is, just want to lay that out. This is not that movie. Specifically, Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio on Netflix. We're going to start, as we always do, with an icebreaker question before jumping into a spoiler-free review of the film, and then we'll also render a verdict of the film at the end of that spoiler-free discussion, and then we're going to conclude our conversation with an in-depth spoiler discussion. But I couldn't talk about Italian puppets on my own. I had to, of course, welcome back the Cinematropolis and Flick Attack contributor, also of World Lit Today, Daniel Bokemper. Daniel, welcome hey, back. Thanks for having me. Just want to warn the listeners, if it sounds like I am speaking very far away from the microphone as this podcast goes on, don't worry. That's just my ever-growing nose pushing the microphone away as I pretend to uh, know what I'm talking about when talking about movies. Oh, Daniel, come so on. Don't worry. You, you, know a, <laughs> you know a thing or two about movies. I know, th- I know one thing, at least. <laughs> I know something. Uh, so, Daniel, tell me, how was your Thanksgiving? Oh, it was um, it was fantastic, amazing. I ate a lot of gravy, pretty much just gravy. We did it. We did an all gravy Thanksgiving. Daniel, I, I see your nose is oh, uh, I, uh, it's growing. That, no, I'm fine. I'm right. I'm close. I'm close. No, I'm at the same place I was from the microphone, just as close to it. Yeah, yeah. Why, clo- you're I, getting quieter, Daniel. We just drank all gravy. We drank gravy. My dad take took shots of gravy with me. Daniel, and we we had a good. time. It's okay, Daniel. I had a good time. No, see, it was the truth. It, it was all great. <laughs> Listeners may know we were recording this right after uh, our Glass Onion review. So uh, via the magic of time travel mm-hmm. and the internet, uh, this uh, review is posting after Thanksgiving. Um, but that said, Daniel, thanks so much for joining us for a doubleheader recording. I just want the listeners to know your commitment to do two podcasts in one day. Always a pleasure. Super excited to also welcome back. Another writer here at the Cinematropolis, also of Lit Reactor, Christopher Schultz. Chris, welcome back. Hello, thank you. My nose will not grow because I always know what I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> um, actually, Michael Myers is in this movie too. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, technically, Michael Myers is in the background of uh, a shot. Of <sighs> Damn. Probably. Damn. I mean, could be. I don't know. I believe it. Uh, especially, it's Call the uh, it's the version of uh, Michael Myers from Robot Chicken. You know, yes. the stop motion. Yeah. The stop motion version. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I knew I thought I saw him. Yeah. Well, listener, if you enjoyed today's shenanigans where we review Pinocchio, uh, I want to note that if you're listening, you enjoy the show, you enjoy the voices, the commentary, hopefully the humor, please support the show by subscribing to this podcast on your preferred podcast app. And most importantly, leaving us a rating and a review on your preferred podcast app. It helps us get discovered by more listeners just like you. As we always do, we're going to start with an icebreaker question. And this week's icebreaker question what folktale popularized by Disney, or, yeah, sure, another studio is welcome, would you like to see have a complete reimagining for the big screen? Christopher Schultz, I'll start with you. Um, I don't know if it exists or not. I know there are some sort of darker takes on Cinderella, but I would love to see a kind of a grim fairy tale like uh, version of this where it ends with the... Um, the wicked stepsisters mutilating their own feet to try and fit into the glass slipper. And then like the stepmother gets 
pecked to death by birds at the end of this thing, like really gory stuff. And I would just love to see a version of Cinderella that, that commits to that level of gore. I think it would be great. We, you know, there's, it's funny. We've gotten so many remakes and even reimaginings of Cinderella, but none of them really darker. Honestly, I know, I know there's that um, one from the nineties with like Sigourney Weaver and Drew Barrymore, I think is, it, yeah. or is that Snow White? Oh man. Was it Cinderella or Snow White? I, I, I was thinking there was a nineties, there was a nineties version of Cinderella. Cause I remember it played on TV. Yeah. There was, there was also, one with Brandy. And if you remember that one, that one came out uh, in the nineties too, I think. Oh man. Wow. We're gonna have to do a deep dive into the history of uh, Cinderella guys that, that listeners, that's going to be some bonus content, probably never coming to you at least uh, anytime soon. But. I think I wrote a thing about the history of Cinderella for lit reactor. Uh, in fact, I know I did. Um, so maybe we can link to that and then it's like cross promotion. Chris, that's a great idea. Stroking the ego. And there you go. And uh, I'm just going to assume you were correct about all of the things you just said with that in mind. About, about me writing the thing. Yeah. I definitely did do that, but I didn't, I, I don't know. I couldn't tell you anything else except okay. there was a nineties, a, a version with Brandy. I do remember okay. that very specifically. Right. So we're going with the dark. Chris is going with dark, gruesome Cinderella, Daniel Bo Kemper. What, what about you? Yeah. So one that definitely was, uh, produced by Disney, but a long time ago, uh, in it, the time it was, uh, Mickey and the Beanstalk. Uh, I don't really need Mickey mouse in that, but I do want to see like a retelling of Jack and the Beanstalk because I think in a lot of ways, the giant is the victim. I mean, he's a victim of theft. Um, and I think like building that up, I, I think there's so much more you could do with the Jack character and then him trying to maybe build a relationship with this giant and then inadvertently betraying it while at the same time, he's just trying to please both his mother and the people he meets, but he just keeps messing up. And I, I don't know. I feel like there's a lot of substance there and there's a lot of, there's a very interesting story you can tell in that. Maybe somebody has told it to some extent. I don't know. I'm not familiar with a lot of Jack and the Beanstalk um, films, but I, uh, I do think there's, there's, uh, there's some mileage there and I'd love to see that retelling. I think you, I think you need to start writing this. It sounds like you've got some good ideas. No, not me. Not me. I don't get near giants nor beanstalks. Uh, oh, I, I think, you, I think you could write it though. I just like watch. Okay. I will. We'll, we'll, we'll collaborate on it. You tell me the one with, uh, Ewan McGregor and Nicholas Holt from, I don't know, roughly 10 ish years ago. What? Was that not dark enough for you? What is what? What? Yeah. What? I don't yeah. remember. What are you this? talking about? It, it was a uh, Brian Singer directed it, and it, it came out in like the 2010s, I think. Maybe maybe oh nine to 2010 somewhere in there. Yeah. Yeah. I well, mean, it's not really darker. To be fair, it's it's, it's not really BFG, not. whatever that no, is. No, no, that's a Steven Spielberg <laughs> movie, and it's based on, based on a Roald Dahl book. Um, yes, which is it's not the big fucking giant. It's the big. Fight. I always want to say it. I do. <laughs> I played too much Doom. All right, I'm gonna go with. I'm gonna go with two. Okay. Number one's probably a little, well, actually they're both probably potentially controversial. So I, I'm going to be careful with this. Number one, Chronicles of Narnia, mm. but I want it done like as a dark fairy tale, not as the kind of like, I know this goes, I mean, I'm sure C.S. Lewis would roll in his grave at this notion, but like, you know, the magician's nephew, if you go read that, for example, it's a pretty dark story. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, you know, the, the last battle, pretty dark. Line the Witch in the Wardrobe has some elements there, like, but let's let's go with like the one of the darker chapters and give me like a not rated R, just a little more twisted, a little more edgy, have a little more vision, um, you know, have that version. You could keep Tilda Swinton, just oh yeah, up mm-hmm. it up oh. it a bit, you know? yeah, just give her a little more a little more wiggle room to to go dark, yeah. darker, or or even just have more depth. Let's say, yeah, uh, you know, controversially, I could also see I'd love to see a, a darker version of the the Hobbit, but you know. 
It wasn't meant to be. Guillermo del Toro almost almost gave is that almost so close. He's so good at almost like <laughs> he really is. He's, He's got so many. Uh, did yeah. you guys see the uh, that they leaked videos from his uh, screen test from in the mouth of madness or not in the mouth of madness uh, in at, the, the, at, at the, the mountains, mountains of madness? madness. Yeah, yeah. He, he shared it on his own Instagram. Like he yeah. was he was just like, hey, here's some test CGI footage we did. We wanted to make it, but never got made. You know, he blames Prometheus for that movie not getting made. He blames, yeah, he blames Prometheus. He blames who else? He blames somebody else. I forgot. Again, I wrote a whole thing about this project, and that was like a couple of years ago, and I've slept since then, so I don't remember. Um, but yeah, he, it. I would love to see it, not with Tom Cruise, which is who was going to star in it. Uh, yeah. At this point, and no thanks. Well, the nice thing about Guillermo del Toro is he's having a heck of a year. Second pick, again, potentially controversial. Pocahontas. However, as made by an indigenous filmmaker. Yes. Not Mel Gibson. No, 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 (laughs) no. Keep Mel Gibson as far away from this. It does deserve deserve three no's. I mean, you're you're right. (laughs) It's just indigenous filmmaker. And I want to make sure it's clear that Pocahontas is the, the protagonist, not John Smith. Let's, Let's do that. And like, let's again, it doesn't need to be dark and gritty, just like a little more sophisticated, a little willing to tackle the kind of morally. Well, I mean, if yeah, the, the telling the truth of it is, you know, that she was a 13 year old and he, you know, sexually assaulted her. Uh, Correct. You know, so yeah, there's, there's that. Um, but what about the raccoon? I know, <laughs> you know, there's no just around the river band, Daniel. That's, that's what I'm what? saying. Dang it. Listen, all I'm saying is I just want more indigenous stories. And that's yeah. a, that unfortunately that is probably one of the most well-known uh, stories of indigenous people in the United States. Uh, and it's fault patently false. Uh, and I th- just think it deserves a second chance from someone who actually has a, uh, an honest perspective on it. Um, so that said, ladies and gentlemen, what sort of uh, folktale popularized by Disney would you like to see have a complete reimagining you can let us know by sending us an email to the cinematropolis at gmail.com or you can hit us up on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash the cinematropolis or on Twitter as long as it may last at the cinematrop that all that said let's go ahead and get into our spoiler free review of Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio I want to tell you a story it's a story you may think you know but (laughs) You don't. Over there! What is that? Papa! (gasps) It speaks! He's just a puppet! No, I'm not! I'm a real boy! People are sometimes afraid of things they don't know. I don't understand! We have found him, our star. Everyone shall love you and call your name Pinocchio. Pinocchio! I have something I'd like to give you. It is a school book which belonged to a very special boy. The boy you lost? Papa! Enough of this nonsense. And I won't be a burden anymore. According to IMDb, this film is described as a darker version of the classic children's fairy tale of a wooden puppet that transforms into a real living boy. A couple of things I want to note. First up, 
I think there was a few theaters that got this for a, a day or two. Honest, the sad truth is, if you're listening to this, you've probably already missed it, and you're not going to be able to watch this movie until it hits Netflix on December 9th, which, if all goes as planned, is in a couple of days. And it's a shame because this movie, we saw this on a big screen, and it was it looked fantastic and deserves that sort of treatment. Another thing I want to add about this, just a little fun fact, Guillermo del Toro has been trying to get this movie made since at least 2008. That was the first time he'd acknowledged that he wanted to make this movie. He had previously said, no art form has influenced my life and my work more than animation, and no single character in history has had as deep a personal connection to me as Pinocchio, and I've wanted to make this movie for as long as I can remember. So this movie getting made, in the way that it got made, with the budget it got made, is sort of a small miracle. And I think uh, much like uh, we, you know, our last conversation, we talked about how Ryan Johnson stuck, struck an unprecedented deal with Netflix. That it's insane. It's a bonkers deal that I'm confident could only have happened precisely when it happened due to the pandemic. I think a similar story here with Guillermo del Toro, which is he is. Re- I, I think we're finally seeing him. His his chickens are coming home to roost in terms of he won that Oscar for Shape of Water a few years ago. We got Nightmare Alley last year, which was clearly a passion project for him as well. And we got uh, Gilmore uh, for, for Netflix. We got Gilmore del Toro's Cabinet of Curiosities. Again, he did not direct all of those, but as clearly a thing that he wanted to do. Several of the scripts in that series were were his, or at least the scripts were based off of stories he'd written. And this film is a passion project. So Pinocchio, as a you know, I, I don't. After seeing what's happened to Netflix uh, stocks and their layoffs this year, in particular, I've heard their animated division got hit pretty hard with the layoffs. I don't know if this movie, if even if, if all this happens even a year later, we still get this movie. So I'm going to count my blessings is what I'm trying to say. All that said, I'm tipping my hand. What did we think of Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio? Christopher Schultz, I'll start with you. I really enjoyed it. There's a lot of del Toro isms in it for sure. It definitely feels like, you know, del Toro's version of Pinocchio, which is not a bad thing, obviously in terms of it delivering what it is. Um, but with a lot of surprises and, and really kind of a lot of heartfelt moments in it. Um, I wouldn't say that it's not for kids at all. Like I definitely think kids could, could watch this and enjoy it. Um, I think it's just, it's just dark enough that it, it definitely provides a contrast for, you know, the, the Disney version, which is probably the most famous version of, of this story. Um, not Tom Hanks, but the other one, uh, <laughs> but, um, yeah, you know, it, 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 not just visually speaking and, and not just from a dark standpoint, like the story itself is, it stands itself enough apart from its predecessor that, um, you know, I, I, it's, it's both original and, um, you know, still friendly enough that, that a, a child could watch it. And I don't think be completely horrified, especially with, you know, the, the horror elements of the 1940s Pinocchio as well, which we can get it a little more into, but, uh, yeah, overall, I thought it was, it was really solid. Um, Really beautiful. Nice. So very pro on Chris's side. Daniel Bokemper. Yeah, I thought it was pretty good as well. I um I'm gonna always like champion uh stop motion and like this year did not expect it, but we are getting spoiled between like this Marcel the Shell with the shoes on, and then uh, of course Phil Tippett's Mad God. Um as it turns out, Studio Leica does not have to carry the 
uh, stop motion wait entirely. Which is great. So which is great. Stories. I love Studio Like It to Death. Me too, I'm, I'm yeah. so glad they've kept this thing alive, but it's nice to see that there's room to have other people doing this thing. Exactly. And the animation was absolutely excellent. There may have been like a moment or two where I noticed like some kind of like stuttery, and I don't even know if that's really any of the animators' fault, but this like kind of stuttery kind effect, of jerky sort of. Yeah, thing. it just happened a couple times. Did not. Yeah. That is not something to hold against the film, though. It's. Just I like it when I'm that happens with stop motion. Honestly, kind of honestly, like, yeah. I like the sort of scene between the seeing the seams a little. Yeah, bit. It, it, that's the well. That's the charm. I think the. Well, sorry, down hijack. You, no, it's the, okay. But the magic of stop motion is you know what you're watching, and it's always impressive when it's very smooth but when it's not it, it kind of gives you a glimpse into holy cow how they, they how did they pull? i'm always yeah. like the more impressive thing about stop motion to me is yes it's great when it works but the bigger question i always have is how did they do that yeah and that's a, a magic that i find is extremely rare these days largely mm-hmm. due to like cgi so anyway continue yeah now. no and i and i do think maybe the like effect has kind of created because those films like take what like three to four years to make each one and so and they're very almost too seamless to the point where you it's not, but you, you kind of forget to, sometimes. Yeah. So. You kind of think it might be like digital or something and it's not, but like, um, yeah. And so to see that here, you notice it, but it's not again, not, not, I'm not saying that to, to hold against the film. I think on like, otherwise it's just brilliant, vivid, vibrant. Um, and it's very, very dark at times. Um, and I'm here looking at the biblically accurate angel Tilda Swinton fairy queen um, that we get, which is great. And on that note on, on Tilda Swinton, but also the others, the voice acting was excellent. Hats off to everyone involved. You've got David Bradley, who I'll talk a little bit more as Geppetto. Um, Christoph Waltz as the abusive uh, ringmaster Volpe. And then Ron Perlman uh, portraying uh, a literal fascist father. It was uh, very on brand for Ron Perlman. Yes, I was like, the second it, you hear the voice coming out of that body, you're like, yep, oh, yeah. it's good. Yeah. And, and I mean, it, props to Kate Blanchett for just going like, <laughs> like making monkey noises. Yeah. Down yes. Because uh, I, I, I didn't realize until I looked it up later. I'm like, oh, she voiced the monkey. That's I was right. one, I was amazing. like, who is she in this movie? Yeah. That is right. They hired Kate Blanchett to voice the monkey. It's yes. incredible. It's great. Yeah. It's great. But like narratively, it's 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 very mature. Like it's more mature than, and I and I haven't watched the the forties Pinocchio, so, um, but I'm gonna guess it might be a little more mature than that. But it's not like inaccessible, um, so I think it's a mistake to call this like Pinocchio for adults. It's it's Pinocchio with just a tad more to say than I think has historically been said. With, well, they're not afraid to shy away from. I'll just put it this way: it's a different take that is is willing to go to places Disney is not willing to go. Yeah. Like, yeah. for example, setting this in fascist Italy, you know, is is one thing right. that, that I don't think Disney was super keen on diving into what that actually looks like. Yeah, yeah it's it's very uh, sort of vaguely European. Um, and, and, like, you have names like Geppetto and Pinocchio and Stromboli, which sound very Italian, but then you have other characters who, you know, aren't being voiced with any kind of accent, like, for all intents and purposes, they have American accents. Um, you know, P- P- Pinocchio the, uh, in the 40s version is an American child doing the voice. Um, Geppetto, I think, is is voiced by an Austrian man named uh, Christian Rube. Um, and he – but he, it, it doesn't doesn't really sound Austrian necessarily. It's just like vaguely European. So, yeah, uh, yeah nothing, nothing very concrete about the – society in which this is being told. Yeah. yeah. But, but that's like one example. I, I think the other example is without being spoilery. This film is not afraid to shy away from the realities of life, which exactly. is death. And it embraces, you know, it doesn't have that 
I don't want to say it's not a sad ending, but it it has a, it's very bittersweet. Whereas Disney would would find a way to to make it nice and happy, and everyone lives happily ever after, sort of thing. And, right. and this film doesn't do that. So in that way, I think that's what I mean by it's going places Disney would not go. Yeah, in the story absolutely, absolutely. And again, there just to 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 finish all my comments, there really isn't much I didn't like. I, I think maybe there was like a lull between maybe the second and third act when we get Pinocchio in in one like a circus setting and then it's it's um quickly he's moved to um this kind of a uh the setting with a bunch of other boys who are being positioned and again we'll talk about it more in spoilers but they're they're being positioned for a very nefarious uh misanthropic purpose um and i think there was a bit of a lull there but it wasn't bad i i think maybe my biggest reservation and this is probably unfortunately due to disney a little bit um is the 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 music is good and it fits within the film. I just did not find it. It's hard for me to consider it like very memorable outside of it. Like I, I was kind of expecting to almost like, walk are you away. talking about just to clarify the score, the musical numbers or both musical numbers primarily. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And there, and it's all good. And like, again, I feel almost bad for critiquing it because I say it, it, it's still all good, but like, I'm, you know, when you have the, 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 <laughs> the when you're in the shadow of when you wish upon a star, you kind of like you you almost it almost like forces it to expect something out of Pinocchio. That's probably I know I know what you mean. I think yeah. like the songs you're not you're not you're not going to be whistling you know exactly uh, yeah. when you wish upon a star. Like these aren't yeah. as memorable as tunes, but they they work within the context of but, the story fine. You know, but, I might hum the Mussolini's uh, a giant poo no, that, yeah. <laughs> number a yeah. little bit, but um, <laughs> no, but yeah, no, it, it just didn't. That part didn't have the most staying power, but like it, it does make up for it in pretty much every other aspect of the film. Um, so overall, yeah, I liked it. Yeah, I mean, I think Daniel, you and Chris have hit it pretty well for me. That I, I just to summarize your point, I will be very favorable to a stop motion animation movie simply for existing. Because it is a lot of painstaking work. And even Mad God, a movie I, I frankly, as from a story perspective, I found to be kind of a disaster. There's not much going on. But that's okay. Yeah, because it's about it, the craft. It, like, exactly. It's about yeah. the craft, right? And so bias here, listeners, I automatically give this, that like automatically removing every other aspect of the movie gives us like a three to a three and a half star for me. Uh, honest bias, just being transparent. With that said, I think Guillermo del Toro, is the perfect person to tell this story using stop motion because, because del Toro, uh, it has already proven himself as a master of puppets and throughout his career. Uh, you, th- you look back at the Hellboy and Hellboy two, Hellboy two in particular, like that he has done this many times where he has a, he understands how to utilize more traditional forms of animation to really, capture the the either the emotion or the the vibe maybe a better word of, of the of the scene then you know we've been overwhelmed with 3d animated films and there's just something magical about seeing these things that are so detailed and again i know we talked about stop motion but the craftsmanship that went into each and every one of these figures in the sets when you see that level of detail that you're like this is a real thing if you saw it if you saw it you could go up and grab it um that's really special. Yeah. And I think Del Toro is a guy who knows how to do that. We've seen it before. So for him to have a full length feature film utilizing this film, uh, utilizing, telling this story via stop motion, I think is a recipe for success. And then you add on top of that, the fact that I think what's beautiful about it is how different it is from Disney. Mm-hmm. 
it says, well, you think you know the story. I mean, it's not, it's not in the text, but you think you know the story of Pinocchio and you know what to expect. Within the first 10 minutes, I was already crying, thinking, well, I had never considered this as a quote-unquote origin, origin story. And the way that they focus more closely on the relationship between Pinocchio and their father and what that what that implies. Why is Geppetto so attached to Pinocchio? Why is, uh, like, the? I mean, is a spoiler? Like, Pinocchio is made from the wood of the tree he planted on his son's burial. Yeah. Like, even just that simple detail just changes my entire perspective on the type of story I'm watching unfold, right? And that that's sort of, again, that's in the first 10 minutes, you kind of get like a little bit of the the Pixar's up, you know, effect where it sets the, sets the scene for the story we're going to watch. But there's an emotional depth and an emotional honesty and just transparency there that I found to be deeply moving. And again, I just don't, I, I find it extremely rare that Disney does, t- touches on that at all outside no. of maybe Pixar. Yeah, yeah. and- that that's the thing is one thing that this pushes um, beyond Disney's a little bit too is you you spoke to it Caleb really um, when you were mentioning how Geppetto is carving Pinocchio out of the wood um, that of the tree that was planted on top of his um, of his deceased son I I think it's that characterization of Geppetto especially it's just so much more real and it shows and again trying to avoid spoilers. This Pinocchio, very different than the Disney one, and that you see, like, this Pinocchio is, this Pinocchio looks like it's been through some shit. Like, he's got, like, he's well, misshapen. Well, well Geppetto is, is very drunk when he carves. Exactly. Yes, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, I, oh my gosh, the, uh, again, this isn't a spoiler. Like, yeah. whenever we're, we, we're, the reveal scene of the real Pinocchio is shot like a straight up horror. Oh, mm-hmm. I was thinking Evil yeah. Dead. Oh yeah, like yeah. he's in. There's yeah. a point where he's in a cellar. Yeah, he he does the he does the head <laughs> crawl thing where his arms bend over backwards and he crawls up. Yeah. There's yeah. there's a moment where Geppetto like checks on him in this this cellar and like he turns and he says like Papa or something. But I totally was like if he just said like Dead by Dawn, I would have <laughs> like I would have been fed so well. But yeah. yeah, and I think yeah, there it is. It's, it's that the, the nails jutting out of his shoulder blades that are just so rough, and you can tell that he was made out of you know, love, there is still craftsmanship, but also just desperation. And that's yeah. evident. And so I think that says this version of both Geppetto, but also Pinocchio says so much more about that desperation, that depression, that want to just keep what you had, even though unfortunately life is, is ultimately finite. I, I, I think it does a really good job of capturing that. And that is just such a significant strength. It is, it is getting at what I, I would assume nearly every version of Pinocchio has not tried to convey. I'm not going to say it wasn't evident in the original fairy tale. I'm not a historian and not super familiar with it, but I think it, it just conveys that idea so well, that idea of both grief, but also hope in, in, in it melds into this, you know, this, this reanimated <laughs> like doll. And it, I don't know. I, I, I can't say much how much I appreciate it doing that, but without it being, Super dark and grim. Yeah, that's the thing. Like, like, like it's, it's, it's hitting it's, on like darker, more complex themes, but it's really funny. It, the movie is, is really funny. I is, laughed a lot. This is still appropriate for kids. Like, yes, this this is absolutely. not. Yeah. So yeah, can't say enough about that. Yeah. So at the table, you can tell we really like this movie. Uh, now, Chris, I want to turn to here for a, a minute. Um, maybe we can elaborate more on this in spoilers with with specific details. But in general, you just rewatched Disney's Pinocchio mm-hmm. from the 1940s. Sure did. Maybe could you tell me a little bit how this version is different? Uh, we've hit on like thematically whatnot. Is there anything specifically you'd want to add to that that maybe separates this from that version? Guillermo del Toro's uh, version is 
really a lot closer to the forties version than you might expect. Um, and, and especially, uh, compared to the original novel, um, which I have not read, but I was doing just some research on it, um, prior to the podcast recording. And, um, there's, yeah. in, In terms of like the sort of bare bone structure of the story, um, but Del Toro definitely borrows a lot from the forties version. Um, but he's definitely making it his own. Um, and, uh, there's certain things that he's sort of combined, um, I guess. So, you know, you have the, the Stromboli character who is like the marionette, you know, sort of evil guy who's abusive to Pinocchio. He, uh, he sort of combined into other characters. There's, there's the Fox and the cat character. I, I think, uh, honest John and Gideon are their names in the, in the, in the forties version in the Disney version. Um, and they, they are sort of combined with Stromboli into the, the, um, Volpa. Is that the Volpa? Yeah. Volpa. And, yeah. And Christoph the, Waltz character, the monkey character that Kate Blanchett voices, whose name I cannot remember yeah. at this point, but, um, but yeah, they're sort of versions of the Fox and the cat and the Fox it's and a, the cat go back to the, uh, Spaz, Spazatura. Oh, so yes. Yeah. The Fox and the cat go back to the original novel and that's, that's literally what they're called. The Fox and the cat. And they're just like sort of troublemakers that, um, that yeah, to kind of get, you know, lead, lead Pinocchio astray. Um, what's interesting is that, um, you know, in the forties version, it's not stated explicitly there. There's not really any kind of hint that Geppetto has lost a son, but like, it's very clear that he has created Pinocchio as sort of like a son of his own. He's childless. And the film really starts with him like, wouldn't it be fun if, you know, Pinocchio was a real boy? And then, you know, the blue fairy shows up to sort of grant that wish. Um, what's interesting is um, there is that same wish with that uh, in Del Toro's version. You know, we've already touched upon he's lost his son due to the war and in a in a fit of sort of drunken desperation, he creates the Pinocchio puppet, essentially the blue fairy character. um, that's played by Tilda Swinton comes to, you know, grant the wish essentially that to make Pinocchio a real boy. Uh, but from the novel, um, it just sort of happens. Like the, the piece of wood is already alive, um, when it's discovered and it sort of shocks this, like, I I think it's a fisherman or something that finds this block of wood that starts talking to him. And he's like, I'm going to give this to Geppetto and, uh, let him do with it what he wants because, I don't want this thing. It's creeping, creeping me out. And and Geppetto carves the puppet and then Pinocchio is alive. So I thought it was really interesting that we're, we're both sort of dealing with desire, the desire to create this life and have this son basically. Cause you know, again, Geppetto doesn't have a son previously where it's not mentioned, but he clearly wants a son and that's where Pinocchio comes into play. Um, but yeah, between the two, never Disney definitely doesn't. I'm not, I'm not sure. I don't remember who, which one of you said it, but like, yeah, Disney's not willing to sort of go to the, where like the idea of this, like, what does this mean? If you're wishing something into existence, what, what does that do for the, the, the thing that is now alive? What does that do to you? Um, and I think I saw in an interview that, uh, Del Toro said his biggest inspiration was the forties version of Pinocchio and Frankenstein. Uh, <laughs> that is such a Guillermo del Toro answer. Yeah. Yes. yeah. Yeah. And that's very evident. This, this, like this struggle of like, I've brought life 
into the world and I don't know how to deal with it. Yeah. Uh, that's very evident with Geppetto um, and, and Pinocchio and their relationship in, in this new version. Yeah. We'll dive more into it in spoilers, but their, their relationship I, I found to be really deeply moving because like mm-hmm. you said, I brought life into this world. I don't know what to do with it. And it's not necessarily because it really touches on grief. You know, how do you resolve grief? Yeah. And the movie, I think, addresses that in a couple of different ways. Uh, the one thing we haven't hit on here related to the comedic relief, uh, and it's also a slight difference is we don't have a Jiminy cricket in this movie. We have Sebastian cricket who is voiced by Ewan McGregor. And I, I found him to be quite funny. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. frankly, I mean, I know Jiminy cricket is an iconic, the conscience and all that. I found this version to be way more enjoyable. I know I'm not the target audience for it, but it was, uh, Funny because uh, he was essentially again. You find this out in the first fifteen minutes of the movie. He the, he's the cricket that is living in the tree that Geppetto cuts down. So the entire time he's referring to Pinocchio as his property. That is why he sticks with Pinocchio the entire movie. <laughs> it's uh, it's it's really really a, a fun dynamic, and he ends up being the butt end of a lot of jokes and mm-hmm. uh, just uh, I don't know. He's very abused. <laughs> yes. Yes. he gets knocked around quite a, quite uh, a bit. Yep. quite a bit. Well. Um, okay, with all that said, uh, I think there's a few more things we can hit on in spoilers. So let's go ahead and move on to letter grade. Uh, Daniel Bokemper, what letter grade would you give Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio? I'm feeling pretty good about a B plus. There are minor um, reservations I have, some with the pacing, but they're not. They're pretty minute. I think it's mostly just. I think I was I was hoping for a little bit more out of the music, but otherwise, a fantastic film. Um, I, I would say make no bones about it. This is quintessential del Toro. Um, so if you're a del Toro completionist, but or not, and you, you like him, but you have some omissions, like this is when like, if you could narrow down del Toro and who he is as a filmmaker to like three or four films, I suspect this one should be a part of that discussion. Um, but yeah, no, I, I, I feel pretty good about a, a B plus definitely see it. All right. B plus uh, guys, holiday season's coming up. It sounds like Daniel's saying, if you're going to watch one Netflix movie with your family, Pinocchio with, with your family, <laughs> we did talk about another film that might not be, you, you want to watch blonde with your family. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> My mom really had a thing for Marilyn. Monroe he did see it with his family. That's no. like Caleb. Oh, wait. No, I didn't. Didn't you not? I'm not going to judge. No, I'm not going to no, judge. No. I thought you said you did. No. If you did, I did. Fine. No, 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 I did not. This I mean, if you did, I, I haven't fine. seen blonde. So I have not. Oh. Seen it. Yeah. So it's I thought you saw it with your family. No, that's the, that is the lie that I've been telling. And my nose is not growing. Christopher Schultz. What letter grade would you give GDT's Pinocchio? Uh, I'm, I'm definitely comfortable with a B plus. Um, maybe an A. Maybe, but um, at at the very least a B plus. I don't think it could ever go lower than that. Um, I agree with Daniel that there there's that sort of third act lull that happens, and we'll get a little bit more into what's happening at that particular point. But I did I did feel like oh we're doing this now, and we've got like a sort of a new story element to deal with yeah. um, after everything we'd already been through. So I, I think with that, I think that that might what that that's probably what brings it down to about a B plus. But yeah. Um, but really solid. And yeah, I, I, it's well worth your watch. And I mean, yeah, if you're going to put something on, on Netflix, I mean, make it that because you know, what else are you going to watch? You're going to watch blonde, you know, watch two and a half hours of, of uh, fan fiction about Marilyn Monroe. Nah, <laughs> nah. Watch Pinocchio. <laughs> all right. So I think we're all on the same page. I'm going to be confident. A minus. Yeah. I think I, I can't, I can't let this film squeak by with anything lower than an A, but I do think an A minus 
precisely for the pacing. It's it's roughly at the end of the second act, beginning of the third act. Yeah. And that's why it's kind of hard to define. It's like, wait, where does the second act end and the third act begin? And it's because there's two separate, like I would say, almost say like vignette, not, not vignette, vignettes, but like there's two different sections of the movie that are back to back. And it, it kind of, it does throw a little bit of a wrench into what otherwise I feel like is a really, uh, it, the movie moves at a really fast pace and yeah. you're, you're into it. It was the one time where I was like, all right, how much longer we got left? Yeah. Um, and it was in that, again, weird end of second act, beginning of third act uh, spot. And we're going to talk about that again more in spoilers. But otherwise, I don't have a bad thing to say about this movie. And, you know, I'm probably never going to get my family to watch Blonde Daniel. But maybe, just maybe, if my family's in a good mood, none of them are listening to this. If they're in a good <laughs> mood, I might tell them, hey, guys, there's a new Pinocchio out. I've, it's got good reviews. You know, Pinocchio, you want to watch it? The one with Tom Hanks? You know, Thanksgiving is a tradition in my family. So I'm not going to tell them Tom Hanks is not in the movie. You should just tell them you're watching Pinocchio and then turn blonde on. And like, this yeah. is the weirdest version of Pinocchio I have ever seen. I don't know what's going on, you guys. Ooh, wow. That's crazy. Uh, so A minus, yes, I do. I mean, I wouldn't say if you're going to watch one holiday movie because uh, it's too soon to say for sure. But uh, I do think uh, this is definitely a, a must-see for 2022. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah, and I... I this review this on this podcast, uh, me and LaRon in particular, I'd love to talk about the Academy Awards, but they're by no measure. But the, the, the judgment, the final judgment of how good a movie is. Mm-hmm. However, I love to speculate. So I would say this is a shoe in for the best animated feature. I think it's good enough to get a best picture nom. Yeah. Will it? Probably not. But they do have ten slots they could use, so I think. I mean, what what else are they going to give it to? I mean, honestly, like Elvis, like no, they're not going to. I think Elvis is going to be there. I mean, Elvis will probably be there. Um, I, mean, not, I mean, they love the Academy loves them some Boz Lerman. Uh, yeah, but I, oh, I can't win though. God no, no, it was it's not going to win. I mean. Everything everywhere will probably get a nominee. We're getting way offside. <laughs> but I'm just saying to say, uh, listeners, uh, come back in March or April or whenever we post that podcast. But I'm bookmarking it here. Best animated feature winner goes to GDT's Pinocchio. Um, with that said, though, uh, what alternate movie, television, novel, music, video game, or other media recommendations would you give to listeners who enjoy Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio? Chris Schultz? Uh, I'm going to give two on this one, and they're both stop motion. Um, one is another uh, adaptation, a very, very dark adaptation of Alice in Wonderland, uh, which, again, we know the famous Disney version. M- beautiful film. I mean, you know, D- D- Disney's Alice in Wonderland visually is is fantastic. Um, and it's got that kind of it's got that dark humor to it. Like it's 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 a lot more subversive than you might think. Um, but uh this version that I'm thinking of is simply called Alice and it's from, uh, Jan Svankmeyer, I believe is how you say his name. Uh, he is, if you're not familiar with his work, uh, he is just a bonkers, uh, stop motion, uh, animator. And, uh, he made this just incredibly strange version of Alice in Wonderland. Uh, it's a mix of stop motion and a, a little girl is playing Alice in it and interacting with like, a stop motion, you know, rabbit that is a, a stuffed rabbit that if, like 
very often will like take the stuffing out of himself. It's like he, he knows that he is a stuffed rabbit. Uh, there's like skulls with feet that are walking around. It's, it's amazing. Uh, I've I, never I, seen this. I'm not aware of this version. I, uh, I must oh, see I it. I love it. Cool. It's, it's, I mean, you can find it on most like streaming services. It's, it's around. I think if you have like canopy, like the library uh, streaming services, you can find it on that. It's, it's incredible. And it, it's, it's just like, it's like 90 minutes. I, I think it's even less than that. It's, it's not very long. Um, it's really dark. It's, very strange and I love it. Uh, cannot recommend that one enough. Um, and then another stop motion, uh, dark, dark fantasy. It's not a fairy tale, although, you know, kind of a modern fairy tale, uh, but Coraline, um, oh, yeah. Yeah. I love yeah. Coraline a lot. Um, I really love the novel, the, uh, from Neil Gaiman that it's based on. Um, but, um, yeah, what, 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 that would make a great triple feature. I think watching the, all three uh, of these at the same time, but yeah, that's what I would recommend. If you yeah. haven't seen those, check them out. Great recommends. I, I learned something today that's uh, going on my watch list. Uh, Daniel Wilkipper. So I think this film is a lot about a lot of different things and, and del Toro makes it about more things than I think perhaps the original Pinocchio or again, at least the, the Disney forties Pinocchio is. Um, and one thing it's about is the consequences of war, um, specifically how that affects children. Um, there is another animated film that uh, operates on this approach in it pretty much in its entirety. Um, and of course I'm talking about uh, studio Ghibli's uh, grave of the fireflies. One of the few mm. Ghibli films that is not directed by uh, Miyazaki, but again, I've, that's a, uh, it's a one timer. It's so, it's so good though. It is. If you haven't seen it, you should, but yes, yes. I I'm recommending it uh, in part because maybe I'm a masochist, but like it, it, cause it is a very sad film. Um, just to give you a brief, um, synopsis or well, the premise it's uh two children who are just really decimated by the american bombing of uh, japan in world war ii um they're misplaced and they are just struggling to survive and maintaining hope that is in a lot of ways unfounded and it's I, it's just uh, it's heart wrenching. Hiroshima and Nagasaki bombing specifically, or I, I believe so. Okay. Um, I believe so, but don't quote me on that. It is, but it is ultimately they are displaced by Americans uh, bombing them, and that's um, it. Uh, it is yes, it is tremendously sad. I want to mention that it it is not um, it going to be as happy as as even this version of Pinocchio is in, in a lot of ways. So brace yourself for that. But I do think it's absolutely necessary viewing and it's just a testament to what animation is capable of. I'm going to recommend uh, just going back to the studio, like a, well, uh, two movies from studio, Leica and then a, a separate recommendation. Uh, number one is Kubo and the two strings. I just love that movie. The yeah. way they are able to take the Japanese woodblock art and, and, convert that into a stop motion animation film along with the music it's it's so good it is uh i think a a a masterpiece that Mm -hmm. an unsung masterpiece frankly uh so that one that one's and it's one i can just watch and turn on at any point in time i love it It, uh i also uh want to call out paranorman which is a nice little tribute nod to horror films i love that movie that's probably the one that's the most watchable from studio like it for me Separately from Studio Leica and Stop Motion, though, uh, we don't get to talk about television on this podcast too much. So I'm going to give a huge shout out to another Guillermo del Toro project that just came out for Netflix, Guillermo del Toro's Cabinet of Curiosities. It is excellent. So I'll give you the shorthand version of the premise. It is essentially an anthology show, or a Twilight Zone, so to speak, put on by Guillermo del Toro. 
several of the scripts or at least stories are credited to him. And he uh, brings in very talented, uh, well-known, say well-known, well-known in the indie filmmaking community. Indie filmmakers come in. Uh, you have the guy who did uh, Mandy Cosmos. I would say Panatos. Panatos. Thank you. Uh, you have Jennifer Kent who, who comes in and does, uh, does one. It's just, uh, again, outstanding group of uh, directors. They have putting their own spin on these one-off stories while they all are visually distinct and clearly directed by different people. They all have the, the kind of GDT production values. Everything looks really good. They the way they light sets and everything's very practical largely speaking, uh, all those personal touches that I like about GDT are still present there. And, uh, I will, you know, there are certainly some episodes of that that are better than others. Uh, Pikmin's model, for example, I found to be pretty compelling. If you like Mandy, uh, I think it, the one from, uh, Cosmos, um, Pan, sorry, Pan, I, 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 I Panatos, Panatos is Panatos, what I'm Panatos. Yeah. Yeah. Cosmos. I yeah. could be very wrong. Yeah, you're right. It's Cosmos Panatos. Uh, his, if you like his vibe, you're probably really going to dig his, his movie, but, uh, some of them are better than others, but I think all of them are at the very least very solid. So very much worth your time. All the episodes are roughly around anywhere from like 35 minutes to an hour. So check it out. Also streaming on a Netflix near you. With all that said, let's go ahead and jump into spoilers. So if you have not seen Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio and you do not want to be spoiled, go ahead and tune out now. Pinocchio, swim for sure. Swim for sure. You're safe. All right, so the big one for me that I, I want to kick us off with is really the complicated nature of father and son relationships, specifically as it relates to the grieving process. I really think this movie does such a, a remarkable job at unpacking life, death, the meaning of relationships. But I think if we hone it on the heart of the film, it, it's really a father and son story. A father and son story where the father is actually griefing his dead child and then is given, surprisingly, out of nowhere, given a different child. And his journey is to learn to learn uh, love Pinocchio as Pinocchio, not I need you to replace my, 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 my deceased son who I, I miss so dearly. And uh, having grown up in a big family, I found that to resonate. Not my siblings are all very happy and alive. I want to clarify that. But it is, I'm not a parent, but relationships with their kids are all different, right? And the way this film addresses this, it's, it's like you can't do the same thing. You can't treat him the same way. He's, he's uh, just a different being, uh, and his needs are, are a lot different. Uh, and I found it to be particularly compelling and com uh, particularly moving. Uh, and it ties in very nicely to by the time we get to the end of the film, they do have a, a healthy relationship um, of self-sacrifice on both sides, which I, I found just uh, to be really powerful. So, Dan, I'll, I'll turn to you first. I mean, how did the, the opening and closing moments of this film really reshape maybe the Pinocchio story that we're familiar with? Yeah, there's this huge, very thoughtful and contemplative focus on how momentary life is and the permeance of death. Um, but even in doing so, they're not at odds. Um, you know, they, they cooperate with one another. They're part of a cycle. Um, one's existence is predicated on the other. So I think, but when you try to uh, recreate something we once had or end a process like death and so Pinocchio throughout this film, he is killed a couple times, but he's never like truly killed. He's always able to come back. 
Um, but when you when you mess with that structure, when you when you tweak that, when you try to f- find something else, try to find avoid the inevitability of mortality um, or inevitability and mortality, it, it becomes problematic. Um, I think the film opens with this attempt to hold on and possibly retreat um, to a very comfortable and familiar place of life. And it, it looks at how that is, again, it's, it's foolish. It's, um, it's a bit of a minefield. I think of like pet cemetery a little bit in this film when it's the dead is better. Like I, (laughs) sometimes dead is better. And it's, yeah, it's, it's the conclusion is about ultimately letting go, but moving on and eventually accepting the end for what it is and what it is, is it's beautiful. Um, Pinocchio has always had like, I think an element of this, but I don't think it's conveyed and how difficult this process is and how difficult it is to reconcile with the, the, the fate we all ultimately share um, in a lot of ways. And I think this film does a, just a very good job of illustrating that and looking at it deeply. Um, you know, there's always a, a caveat um, to our existence. There's always that, that thing that we, we have to reconcile with. Um, and it doesn't mean that there is no such thing as happily ever after. We, we alluded to that a little bit earlier, how, you know, again, Disney has a tendency to make happily ever after like the end game. This film manages to give you a happily ever after while still acknowledging reality. But, but that's the, I don't think Mm. it's, I don't think it's a happily ever after. No, not necessarily. I I think it's a happy as long as it lasted. (laughs) Melancholy. Yes. Yeah. That's a better way of putting it. Melancholy after. (laughs) (laughs) I think, I think for me, and I don't want to speak out of term, but it just really underscores that life is temporary and you need to learn to, like, it's, it's important to embrace life as it comes. Right. Because you don't know how permanent or temporary it may be. Exactly. And the, yeah, the, the, the impermeance of life, uh, doesn't devalue it. It just makes it more precious. Exactly. Yeah. And, and, and when you do have people in your life who are care for you and you form a bond with, maybe it's not the relationships you imagine being in your life or expected to be in your life, but that does not mean that you should not embrace them. Cause most of the movie is Pinocchio off doing his thing, chasing his own machinations. And then you have Geppetto saying, why can't you be more like my last kid? The lesson both of them learn is it's important to, to value this time we have together because you provide me something that no one else can. Yeah. And, and, and likewise I do for you, you know, and I don't know. I found it very, very deeply, uh, deeply moving. Mm-hmm. Chris, any thoughts on, on that? Yeah. I, I mean, I, I, I totally agree. I think that this isn't necessarily a happily ever after, but it's a very honest ending in, in so many ways. Um, which, uh, which have we, have we said sort of explicitly what the ending is? No, we haven't. Yeah. So okay. elaborate here for us. Um, so yeah, if you, if you've not seen it and you're still listening at this point and you don't care about spoilers, um, the, uh, you know, if you're familiar with the forties plot, you know, he, Pinocchio sort of goes off with the the marionette company for a while. Um, and then he gets sort of lured into going to uh, pleasure Island, which is just like this place for bad boys to just sort of be as bad as that. There's yeah. Hell yeah. Uh, da- Daniel's no. Daniel's giggling. Where I'm, there's, there's not, some definite, there's some definite like <laughs> sex trafficking vibes that goes with this when you're watching it. Cause the, the like the coachman is very sort of like, I want boys. And uh, the, the it's ni- very, the, the 1940s version, to the be 1940s specific. version, yeah. very specific. Yes. Yes. Um, and, and, and you know, it could be very intentional. Um, it seems like there 
there's a lot of sort of like critiquing of Hollywood in the 1940s version, which we're not here to talk about that one. But um, there, there was interesting stuff that I definitely didn't pick on pick up on when I was a child and I watched this movie last, you know, in the 1980s. Um, but uh, I'm getting way off topic. Um, so, um, right. So he goes to Pleasure Island and then, you know, there's the whole sequence with the whale and then he gets reunited with Geppetto. Um, and then the, in the Disney version, you know, there's the happily ever after he gets transformed into a real boy and, you know, roll credits. Um, in the del Toro version, um, we see, a, we see a core layer with that instead of like the pleasure Island, it's, uh, this is what we were alluding to before, uh, the, um, he goes, he gets drafted basically into war because he cannot die. And so the, the Ron Perlman, you know, fascist soldiers basically sees him as a, as a perfect weapon for, for Italy's cause because he cannot die. So we were going to send him out to the battlefield and let him kill as many, uh, uh young boys as he can. Um, and so that's kind of the corollary with pleasure Island here is this, all these boys sort of training for war. Um, then we have the sequence. It's not a, it's just a giant fish, which again, that goes back to the original novel. It's not a whale. It's, um, it's just a, I think it's a giant shark in the novel. I want to say, but in this film, it's just some kind of strange fantasy fish. And yeah. the d- design on it is incredible yeah. too. By the way, like like you know, props all all the creature design and just like it, it, we touched upon this before, but just like the the overall visual design of all the characters are fantastic. Um, but um, once we go through sort of the sequence of the giant fish and everything. Um, what it essentially comes down to is Pinocchio can't become a real boy because that means he would die. And Jiminy Cricket has a wish and he wishes for Pinocchio to Sebastian Cricket. Excuse me, Sebastian. Cricket. It is yeah. easy to get yes. confused. Yes. Um, yeah, I think, I think Disney owns Jiminy very specifically, so we can't call him that. Um, <laughs> he is you and Sebastian J critic McGregor. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Um, he, he gets his wish granted to bring Pinocchio back to life, but then that means Pinocchio is now immortal once again. And so the, the film ends with Pinocchio essentially watching all of his friends die. Um, he, Geppetto dies first, uh, Sebastian, maybe Jiminy Cricket dies second. Um, Spazzatura, the, the monkey character ends up becoming an ally with Pinocchio. He also dies. So that was the, that was the one, um, Really, I mean, the movie is obviously well edited, but that was the one edit that really caught me off guard mm. was you see them walking him walking with the monkey to the gravesite for Geppetto uh, and Sebastian. And then you see Pinocchio look down again. And oh, and then you see the grave. Yeah. You know, it's like, oh, my God, because like, like life flashes before your eyes. Yeah. I, yeah. I feel like I just walked up here yesterday to visit them. And now he's here yeah. on the ground. Yeah. Yeah, very, very, uh, yeah, very, very moving stuff. Uh, you know, and of course, like when an animal dies in a movie, I'm always more touched than when like a human dies. So I'm like, not Spazitur, not the monkey, not the cricket. No. Uh, uh, but yeah, I mean, but but at the same time, like this is very sort of sad and like Pinocchio is sort of outliving everyone, but it's sort of left, um, you know, true, true to the novel and even the, the 1940s version, it's the cricket character that is actually telling the story, um, kind of narrating it. Um, I think, I think that's the case with the novel. I'm not real sure, but that's definitely the case with the forties version. Um, but he's telling it from beyond the grave. Like he, this is, he's recounting his life story and he has this sort of line at the end is like, I haven't heard about Pinocchio in a while, but I assume he's still out there having his adventures, you know? And it's in terms of the idea of grieving and how we 
eventually kind of have to move on from it. I mean, very, very poignant stuff right at the end of this film. And not to say that, that anything that came before it wasn't poignant, but, um, uh, well, it's a nice uh, parallel and um, mirror image of at the beginning of the movie, we see, I mean, Geppetto's whole thing is he can't move on. Yeah. His son dies Correct. tragically in the war at the beginning of the movie. And we see that Pinocchio uh, has to carry that torch forward by completely moving on. Right? right. It's kind of a nice way to kind of bridge those two character arcs together to kind of uh, underscore the larger theme. Yeah. At least I thought. Well, and it's not just acceptance, you know, G- Geppetto has to accept Pinocchio for who he is. Right. And, and that's, that's a key element is like, if you're used to, you know, the forties version of Pinocchio is very kind of innocent and he sort of gets roped into these, these sort of devious things. Like he doesn't really know what he's doing, you know, because he's sort of new and fresh. Um, but like, this del Toro's Pinocchio and this, this again, harkens back to the novel. Um, he's kind of a shit. Like he's, 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 a, he's kind of a troublemaker. Um, he really like, and, and that's very sort of honest in, in the way that we sort of, the way that we, we have to kind of learn morals in a lot of way, right? Like we have to sort of learn how to behave. And there's definitely a, some commentary on like, well, but you know, the things that we have to learn aren't necessarily what we should be learning. Um, a lot of that is represented with the, the fascist character and, and the sort of like, well, you know, he has to go to school to learn to be a, yeah. a soldier boy to go to, you know, and it's just kind of like, uh, no, maybe not that. Um, but, you know, Pinocchio has to kind of learn to be a little more self-sacrificing. But I mean, Geppetto kind of has to learn that as well, that um, this this is who Pinocchio is. And I love him for who he is. I, I th- Carlo, is that the name of the his his actual living son? I, think? I believe so. Yeah. Which is also the the name of the author, uh, interesting enough, Carlo uh, Colotti. But um, yeah, you know he has to accept that that Carlo or his 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 son, his living boy son, is gone. That this Pinocchio is not a replacement for him. Pinocchio is his own identity. Um, and so in that same way that he kind of still let Carlo go, Pinocchio also has to let these other beings go. You know he's fought so hard to keep them safe, but eventually they die. Eventually he has to move on. Mm-hmm. One thing that the the movie went back to a few times, I thought it was really interesting, was the like the you know, I mean, everyone's got daddy issues, right? It's the the joke in fiction, right? And in, in this uh, film, the phrase specifically that really gets Pinocchio every time is "you're a burden," like that's the worst thing he can be. More than anything, is "you're a burden," and he said, "Well, I don't want to be a burden, so I'd rather depart you." Um, but in reality, I think with the takeaway, I mean, like kind of like just kind of how I've thought about it is every relationship requires giving as well. doesn't mean you're a burden though. Like those aren't the same thing. And Geppetto just absentmindedly says that in his frustration, not realizing the the deep weight that carries and uh, really hits impacts his son negatively or Pinocchio negatively. And I thought that was a really interesting exploration of like, you know, Geppetto was just honestly frustrated and just in that not being careful what he was saying just says some stuff right in front of Pinocchio that sinks into Pinocchio and really shapes his entire relationship with his dad. He's like, well, no, I, I don't I, I don't want to be a burden. I want to support you. And the best way I can support you is to not be around. And it's uh, heartbreaking stuff. But I, I thought it was a really good way to kind of in a simple way kind of communicate those those little interactions that everyone probably has with their mom and their dad when they're younger. Those little things that your parents might not even think about having a real direct deep rooted impact on how you think about not just, I mean, you know, your parent your relationship with the parents, but also just the world in general. Right. Um, yeah. I don't know. I was really moved by that. Yeah. It's a long way of saying that it was a good, good. <laughs> <conclusion>. <laughs> uh, 
Uh, we've talked about a lot here related. I mean, Chris, you filled this in quite a bit on the historical look at Pinocchio as it relates to uh, definitely the, the uh, original Disney film from the 1940s and a little bit on the novel. One thing we haven't gone too deep in on is the, the, the fact that this film is set against the backdrop of Italy during World War II. Is World War II, right? I, I've seen some reviews say it's in the 30s, but it's not just real clear. Well, but World like War Mussolini's it's, around. It, like Mussolini actually appears in the yes, film. Yeah, I think it's like that. probably like right before. Yeah, if I had to guess, because it's absolutely World War One is what, you know, res, like kind of catalyzes the film, I guess, or an accidental bombing as a part of what I, I could yeah. pick up. Because I think they refer to it as the Great War at one point. And mm-hmm. so, um, but yeah, I would, I think it's like right on the, Cusp of somewhere in the the World War One, World War Two, like yeah, in that, in that time frame between where War, uh, yeah, yeah right, sort of right before sort of the outbreak of World War Two, mm-hmm. I would I would say is when the 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 main action gets started. So, yes. Yeah. So how do you guys think this uh, inclusion, which again, as I, I mentioned earlier, this is definitely one of the things Disney. Well, they avoided it in the in their original version. That that one for a little more obvious reasons because it was so timely even then. But I mean, even if they were to make it today, I, I mean, I, I haven't. I've only watched ten minutes of the Tom Hanks movie, but I'm pretty sure it's not set during uh, on the backdrop of uh, fascist Italy. Does Pinocchio kill Nazis. <laughs> um, what, what, how does? I mean, kind of. <laughs> There are, in fact, Nazis who die and Pinocchio's around, so yes. yes. I mean, Pinocchio's actions sort of indirectly get Ron Perlman's character just absolute bombed the shit out of him. So that, <laughs> yeah. I mean, one could say that he is kind of killing Nazis. I'm this. pretty sure I heard Pinocchio say he demands 100 Nazi scalps from each of his yeah. men. I'm pretty sure that's another one of those little Easter eggs. That was just yeah, kind of just one of those. Yeah, when <laughs> Michael Myers was in the background. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Brad Pitt came yeah. in to voice Michael Myers in that one instance. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, how does sort of the setting recontextualize the story and larger themes, if at all? Uh, I don't want to uh, project, but I'm just curious if you guys thought that had any shaped the story in any sort of meaningful way. I mean, there was a, as you mentioned, uh, Daniel, um, with the pacing. There's a considerable chunk of the movie. And that is set in an like a is an SS not necessarily SS camp but like it's a it's like an indoctrination training camp for boys yeah, yeah. Right? for future soldiers right. fascist youth club yeah yeah um yeah I I mean it makes it more uh, obviously it makes it more severe but um <laughs> almost to the point where it's like oh this is a fairy tale um you kind of put that into question uh, because again yeah you do have uh, Pinocchio I, I made an allusion to it but he he. And Chris mentioned it too. He literally performs in front of Mussolini at one point, um, and it's still like fun and wondrous, and 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 you know, again, is very imaginative. But you also see Pinocchio just like straight up get shot. Yep. Uh, yeah, I mean, it happens. Yeah. It happens off screen, but yeah, he gets shot in the head by a by a Nazi soldier and goes to uh, the underworld for the, the second time in the film. Pinocchio dies three times in this movie. Three times. Yeah, yeah. he gets hit by. <laughs> How many times does Pinocchio die? He gets hit by a car, um, and you do see that one. Um, and then, yeah, he's shot off screen, and then he he does die in yeah, the process. He drowns, of, or uh, it's during the whale, or not the whale. Yeah, yeah he's underwater. Yeah. Sequence, yeah. 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 And it's, it's yeah, and and uh, I mean, it's just all of these things that. <laughs> oh, that's four times, though, because Jiminy, or excuse me, Sebastian Cricket, uh, wishes him alive. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Two. So he's, he goes visit, he goes and visits the uh, weird uh, in-between worlds three times. But yes, that means he does technically die four. Yes. Because he comes back to life underwater and then dies on the beach. <laughs> 
Pinocchio, right. live, die, repeat. Because he, yeah, he <laughs> dies. Yeah, he dies underwater, and then he actually asks to be brought back. Right, but then that means he won't be immortal. So then he dies again, and that's his final death. But then. Sebastian in the Minini, uh, <laughs> which is him, which is him alive. So yeah, he dies four times in this movie. Um, yeah, necromancy. Yeah. <laughs> Straight necromancy all over. Witchcraft. The- yeah. yeah um, he like, but yeah, he, he does that. And those are things for, for the most part, I guess, except it doesn't happen too often that you get eaten by a giant fish, but those are all like very mm-hmm. brutal and real ways um, in which people die. So again, it's just a reminder of how like, I think it connects Pokey and Pinocchio a little bit closer to human nature in a way that it otherwise can't. And again, I mentioned the characterization earlier, but I want to get back to it. Like just because, you know, the the thing about the Disney Pinocchio is he's, he's, you know, you don't like that character. There is not much that is inherently obvious that makes this like that character. If you just look at it plainly, that is not a real boy. You see that the hinges really is about it, right? Like the hinges in his arms. Right. Yeah. Um, I mean, he's, he's very anthropomorphized for the most part. Exactly. And this Pinocchio is not, and that Pinocchio is very like pristine. And I I think this gets in putting it against the backdrop of, um, in this historical context that we're suddenly given this little secret history. Um, I think it just makes it that much more real. And as a reminder that again, it's not, it's not clear cut. It's not a very um, bilateral story. It's 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 got a lot of you know ambiguity to it, and um, I don't know. I think that gets way closer to to what this you know what the story of Pinocchio has been about the whole time. And so, I think placing it against that backdrop, um, it's done with an extreme amount of tact. Um, it's also placed against um, to some extent Christianity, and there's even a point where Pinocchio literally is like. Uh, one of the things Geppetto does throughout the film is he's working on a a, a wooden a, a crucifix and then a, a, a wooden Christ attached to it. And there's a point where Pinocchio is like, well, Jesus is made of wood, this Jesus that I understand. And he's everyone loves him, but everyone like reviles me. And again, another way to bring in something very real and create something. But it doesn't it's not like I love it because they have Pinocchio who genuinely doesn't know anything about it. He's exactly. asking a very honest question. Yes. And it's so. not and it does not. It's not condescending to anybody. It's no. just like, why is it this way? No. Yeah. And it's a very reasonable question. And I think that's it is that just like Del Toro has tact. You know, you can look at him. People sometimes I think maybe people might think and see Del Toro and think like, oh, he's the weird monster guy with everyone's got eyeballs mm-hmm. on their hands. And like yes. Mitch, Mitch McConnell. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but the, the chin or the eyeballs? I'm confused. Both. Both? It's all of it. <laughs> the, the pale man from Pan's Labyrinth was played by Mitch McConnell. I remember. This I thing. believe it. Yes. But like. No, 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 it was actually Doug Jones, and I love Doug Jones. So I, was I have say, to shout him out. Yeah, yeah, but yeah, it was yeah. also Mitch McConnell. I, I think you insulted. Yeah, I was gonna say. Yeah, I think you just insulted. I, Doug I did Jones. insult. I'm sorry, Doug Jones, if you're listening. <laughs> he shout out. We do love. Doug. We I do, do and I love him very much. All to say is that yeah, like Del Toro will bring a little bit of that grotesque and weirdness to it, but like it all means something. It means something that's very real and very sincere, and that is, I think, more so akin to Del Toro than you know, the oddities that we get. Well, gentlemen, we've talked about this film quite a bit. Final thoughts. Is there anything else you'd like to say about GDT's Pinocchio before we wrap up today's review conversation? Daniel, your final word. Yeah. If you're going to try and reanimate a lost loved one, like, I don't know, through a wooden puppet or something, make sure their arms are like, like normal length. Like, 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 like what you remember, like as close as you can. Don't make them too long. Well, don't do it when you're drunk. (laughs) 
Or yeah, be safe. Also, make them arms shorter because they're um, for good measure. Because when they awaken, they're going to be real spider-like and weird. And uh, yeah, that's that is that is terror. That is that is genuine terror. So yes, reanimate loved ones. Keep their arms normal or short. Don't make them long. Daniel, you've got me really. You, you mentioned Pet Cemetery in this review, and I just keep going, thinking of that voice from the original Pet Cemetery. You go down that road right there. You don't want to go down that road. <laughs> Dead. <laughs> the ground there is sour. All right, Chris Schultz. What are your final words? I, I, I. We just haven't talked enough about the the character design of of Tilda Swinton's two characters because we've not mentioned that she does in fact play two characters: the the blue fairy or the fairy of the forest, and death. And the character design on death specifically is outstanding. Mm. Um, and that that alone is worth the price of admission, but everything else is great about this movie. But yeah, I cannot praise enough the weird sort of cat-like wearing a mask, also a dragon, blue death figure voiced by Tilda Swinton. Like I'm I'm 100 here for that. I love that there's like very minimal explanation on exactly what she is too. Mm-hmm. It's, it's fantastic. Yeah. I love it. It's magic and, and like in the best way possible. I mean, as a compliment. Uh, last thing I just want to say. Related to the idea of the remake thing, and we were talking about, I'm actually not against remaking classics. If you're going to do it, if you're a studio, and you've got quarterly earnings you have, and the people are saying, we got to remake these movies, and you insist it, okay, I get it. I would, I would implore the people who are making these decisions, though, to say, well... We can kill the uh, kill this thing by releasing a really bad live action version, and say instead say, "Hey, did you guys see what they did with that Pinocchio movie on Netflix?" I mean, we'll never say this publicly, but what if we decided to do that same thing where we retell the same story but with a very fresh take? Not we're not just rehashing the beats people know, but find a new angle while still kind of riding that nostalgia wave. I feel like there's a compromise that can be made between the two approaches that I think would lead to an ultimately more satisfying retelling that would help them accomplish their goals. All that's to be said. I love, I think this is the perfect reimagining for Pinocchio and it is moving forward will be the definitive version. I tell people to watch if they ever bring Pinocchio up for some reason. Yes. With that said, listeners just want to remind you this film hits Netflix just in time for the holidays. Check it out on December 9th. Daniel Bokemper, where can listeners keep up with you and your work online if they want to follow what you're doing? Yeah, so you'll find uh, plenty of stuff on the Cinematropolis, of course. You might find a little written a little essay over over about Pinocchio on there, and you'll uh, might find something about the Glass Onion as well. And of course, these podcasts. Also, uh, check me out at uh, the uh, World Literature Today in print or online. Uh, got a uh, review of the South African novel uh, I Brother Horn, uh, which will be in the year end issue. Uh, from there also, um, starting to make some, uh, little, little bite size, dare I say snackable reviews I'm writing on, uh, on, uh, flick attack. I like snacks. Uh, yeah. They're yeah. good. Uh, my, all of my reviews are substantial snacks. I'm talking the P3s from Oscar Mayer. Yes. With, with the almond clusters and the Colby Jack cheese. Mm. But check out uh, the review I have up there right now is of uh, Weird, the Al Yankovic story starring Daniel Radcliffe, co-written by Weird Al Yankovic himself. So uh, check it out. Uh, but otherwise, yeah, of course, the Cinematropolis and the Cinematic Schematic. Weird. 
That's a hell of an ending. That's all I'm going to say. Nothing else. Just what an ending. What an ending. Christopher Schultz, where can people find you and your work online? Uh, easiest place is just to go to my website, uh, www.christopherschultz.com. And that's S-H-U-L-T-Z. Not to be confused with the man in Florida who maybe still writes books. I don't know. He wrote a book once called like How to Quit Your Day Job and Retire to Florida or something. That wasn't you? It wasn't me. Yeah, litreactor.com as well. Um, I actually have something coming up uh, in December at some point, which is screenplays that, uh, probably won't get an Oscar nomination that I'm really excited to write. Well, that'd uh, be a fun one. Yeah. So look forward to that. Excellent. Ladies and gentlemen, as long as it may last, you can find me tweeting about film, television and video games on Twitter at C masters talk. And, uh, just to reiterate for those of you who didn't listen to our glass onion conversation, uh, I finally updated my letterboxd account so that it matches. So you go to letterboxd.com letterboxd is a Miracle, if you're a film goer who likes to track the movies you've seen, uh, I actually signed up for Pro, and it provides all sorts of really cool analytics, like what genres do I watch the most of, who, what actors have I seen the most of, uh, how many movies have I watched this year compared to old movies that I've watched. Anyway, I promise they're not a sponsor, but I just have to say, I uh, I, I, I upgraded to Pro, which was like $20 a year. It was very cheap, just so I could change my username, and I was like, holy cow, I feel like I just unlocked another secret layer of letterbox that I didn't know existed and I love it for it. So, um, letterbox, check me out there. See masters talk. Also, as I am trying to slowly migrate off of Twitter, please, if you are on Letterboxd and you follow me on Twitter, but you don't follow me on letterbox, just follow me there. There's Mastodon too. I don't know if you've tried that. I haven't tried it. I've heard mixed things separate. I like it. Okay. It's It's weird. It's, it's it's wonky, but I like it. It's worth a shot. I'll try anything. (laughs) And of course, you can find all of our podcasts and essays over at thecinematropolis.com. Thank you so much for joining us, everyone. We'll catch you again next time. At long last, I've been hyping it for, I'm pretty sure, at least two months, holding it tight to the chest. Our revisitation of James Cameron's Avatar is going to be released next episode, just ahead of the sequel, The Way of Water. Can't wait to share it with you. Until next time. Until next time.